Good morning once again. So as announced, we are going to look at um, Psalms, the book of Psalms in this uh, month of June. And uh, today we're going to look at the first series, first of the series. And thank you, Anna, for reading that beautifully. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to the portion that has been read to us so that uh, we can look at it as closely as possible. And before I move on, let me pray. Dear Lord, we pray that, Lord, you will give us this time to meditate upon this, enable us to understand what you have to teach us uh, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, Psalms is not usually a typical book for uh, preachers. You know, they don't make so much of a topic out of Psalms uh, for a congregational preaching. Often, it, leaves, it is left for personal meditations to look into the Psalms because Psalms are deeply personal and it connects us with its emotion, you know, the writer's emotion into what we can understand of it. And Psalms, simply put, is uh, translated as songs or poems as we can understand. And because of its deep uh, personal connections, we often find it very much a part of our life. And that's something which we are going to look at today. Just to give you a brief uh, introduction to Psalms, because we're going to look at it for the rest of the month. Uh, you have 150 Psalms, out of which uh, David, King David wrote half of it. Except for Psalms 90, which is the Psalms of Moses, the rest of the Psalms are... Uh, Psalms were written in about 500 years. Um, so if you look at the Psalms, they are divided into five books, but there's no chronological divisions of that book. They are just arranged thematically and also artistically by uh, whoever arranged those things. And most scholars believe that it was the prophet Isra who finally compiled the format that we have today, the Psalms, the book of Psalms. And if you look at the Bible, this five portions uh, of that forms the poetry section, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And you're looking at a part of ancient literature, which is so wonderful for us to actually look at. But today, when we talk about poetry, we are so influenced by the Western understanding of it that uh, we do not uh, consider the kind of the poetry that we have today if you look at the Western uh, form of poetry, you are so much focused on the stress, the rhythm, the meter, and the syllables that are part of the poem, poetry. But in uh, Hebrew poetry, that sort of thing is not so much seen. Rather, we see a very important um, type, form, called uh, parallelism. And you find this very much spread across all the books of poetry that is in the Bible. Uh, so there is a thought which is stressed and uh, the parallelism of the thoughts are which we're going to look at. For instance, you know, if you look at the first verse of this psalm that we're going to look at, how many are my foes? Uh, how many rise up against me? These are two lines, but the same thoughts which has been said um, twice. So we're going to look at it. And uh, unfortunately, we have to say that because of translation, many things are lost in translation. The beauty of Hebrew poetry is not really much captured in the English language as we look at it. But I would like you to um, 
browse the net, try to listen to Hebrew poetry. It's very beautiful. It's very rhythmic and you'll be able to see the whole thing. So we're going to look at uh, Psalms 3 today. And, uh, and uh, we're going to look at uh, Psalms 3. And I've simply divided the Psalms into two sections. The first four verses as hope for answer. And the second section, which is from verses 5 to 8, as uh, hope for deliverance. So keep your Bibles open and let me read the, the subtitle to the poem, which is very interesting because it is said in the, as the subtitle of the poem, uh, the psalm is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now that's the background that we're given. That's why I've marked as the background story, which you'll find in Second Samuel chapter 13 to 18. You'll find the whole story. And it's, in fact, you know, so much of uh, Absalom's conflict with his father the King David is mentioned in this huge section of Second Samuel that it forms a core of it. But if you look at uh, this section of um, of Second Samuel, six chapters, um, David. If you look at just before what happened to this action that happened here, is that David has achieved his heights. He's he's established the kingdom of Israel and made it a stronghold where he ruled now. But in that height of his kingship came the greatest fall that we have seen. So if you look at Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we see uh, David's uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba. And after which came the conflict that happened here. So the background to the story that we're going to look at, the Psalms, is the conflict that David had with his son Absalom. Now he's been pursued by Absalom uh, because Absalom has declared himself king. But if you look at uh, if you look at Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter twelve, and this is right after he committed the sin with Bathsheba. This is Prophet Nathan who came to him to David and. Uh, told this, prophesied this to him. And I'm going to read Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 9 to 12. This is for us to help us understand. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hattite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took, your, took the wife of Uriah the Hattite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And you will lie with your wives in broad dead, broad dead light, daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do these things in broad daylight before all Israel. Now that's a prophecy that prophet Nathan told David. Now that's the pronouncement of the curse on the household of David. What happens subsequently in the chapters that follow? Chapter 13, his eldest son, Amnon, raped his own stepsister, Tamar, and who was the sister of Absalom. And uh, subsequently, Absalom, you know, was, had, an, had an urge to kill Amnon, which he achieved in the next chapter again. So if you look at it, the conflict in David's household started soon after he committed the crime. 
the prophecy of prophet Nathan, which is from the Lord, was beginning to come true. And in this time, however great David might be, we cannot help but say that he did not discipline his children. Because the word David's, there's no record that David actually disciplined his children when crimes were committed within his own household. He never disciplined Amnon for raping his own sister. Neither did he later on admonish or punish Absalom when he killed his own brother. So all these things begin to happen. And uh, however great the king might be, David, he was not a very good, um, uh, good father. And sometimes I think that can be a warning for us as parents. When we're busy building our own empires, building our own careers, we may ignore our children. And that may lead to uh, several kinds of consequences we're going to look at. So the Bible records so many other things. Um, of, you know, if you look at First Samuel again, you look at Eli's, Eli and his son, the prophet Eli. You know, they were killed because um, the Eli did not discipline. So there is this um, fatal mistake which we see in, in, in David's life. Uh, nevertheless, you know, we are given, you know, David once again got back the opportunity to serve um, as king. So what we see here, you know, just before the action to this happened, Absalom himself has declared himself king. Absalom was good looking. He has won over Israel. And now David is being pursued. He's left, he left, he left uh, uh, the Jerusalem. And as he was leaving Jerusalem, he climbed up the Mount of Olives. And this is what we read in chapter 15, verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. So he left Jerusalem. He already gave up his throne so that the son can come and take him. Technically, at this point of time, he was climbing up the Mount of Olives and he was going to cross over the Jordan to a destination which is far away from Jerusalem. But the Bible also mentions later in the New Testament, many years, many centuries later, that one of his descendants will climb the same Mount of Olives. But this time, he was not bearing his own, the weight of his sin, but he was bearing the weight of the world, that is Jesus Christ. So it was in this poignant moment that David wrote this psalm. He has crossed over far away from his kingdom, and then he settled down to write this poem. So let's look at the, the first section for us this morning. And I'm going to read the first two verses. Oh, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. Selah. Now, of course, the word Selah is more like a musical term, which is uncertain. Scholars have not really been able to define what it is. In some translation, you'll also find it as an interlude. Many, you know, about 70 or more are mentioned in Psalms and a couple of them in Habakkuk, which is a musical term as we understand today. But there is this kind of a break that happens uh, between these verses. And um, this, this, these two verses captures the enormity of David's burden at this time. David's enemies were huge. And later on, he mentioned it as, you know, thousands have gathered to pursue him. Worse still, he was pursued by his own son, who has risen up against him. And David loved his children. 
There's no question about that. He loved, in fact, he loved Absalom perhaps even more than the others. Because if you look at the, uh, Abs- David, you know, when Absalom finally was killed in that battle that he uh, insurrected against his own father, it was a father who cried inconsolable to him. Now, this is what we read in chapter 18 of Second Samuel uh, and verse 33. The king was shaken. The king was shaken at the news of the, the death of his son. He went to the room over the gateway and wept as he went. He said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, many scholars have agreed that this is one of the most sorrowful cries in the Old Testament. Often you find this kind of expressions, repetition of names. And then what I also came across is that in the Hebrew, when somebody cries with a repetition of the person's name, it actually points to the enormity of agony, the emotion that is filled to actually express the burden that that person was carrying. And we find one of these most famous one in the New Testament again, when Jesus called out to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Now there is agony in that cry, that call, just like the cry of Jesus at the cross, my God, my God, why did you persecute me? Why did you, uh, why have you forsaken me? David was in extreme agony. Absalom was dearly loved by him. Absalom. Um, and yet, you know, he also knew that Absalom's death has, to, death has to do with his own mistake. The mistake which was already pronounced by prophet Nathan. And it was actually Absalom who actually publicly slept with the concubines of David in broad daylight, as it mentioned. So you see, sometimes um, you see that uh, as these verses, these two verses mentioned that many have risen against him. Many have come up against him. There is this, uh, there is this uh, second verse. When you look at uh, second verse, many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. Now, If you read further into chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, you also find that as David was crossing uh, Jerusalem and passing onwards uh, towards Jordan, there was this descendant of Saul who was cursing uh, David, saying that, you know, the Lord has brought this punishment on you because blood is on your head. You know, all those things that happen. But what happened? You know, sometimes we may also be facing a similar situation when we are faced with different kinds of difficulties. What do you do when you face a tough situation, when difficult times come? What do you do when you feel like you have failed in your own, uh, in your own pursuit of life? What are, what, what, how do you feel when you know, your failures seems to be more than what you can imagine? Maybe this pandemic and the subsequent lockdown has taken a toll on many people. Maybe some people have lost job, business has been derailed. Life has come to a kind of a standstill, you know, or you have been uh, betrayed by loved ones. Family members like David have turned against you, have not listened to you. And you have been laughed at, just like Shemai, the descendant of Saul, was laughing and cursing David at this point of time. Or maybe also like David, your sin that your past sin is not causing you pain. 
you're regretting that there's a mistake. There may be some absaloms in our own lives. There may be some Shemai who is cursing us for what we are doing. But what, what do we do in this kind of a situation? Look at what David did. He said, but you are a shield around me. Verse 3. Oh Lord, you bestowed glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. Now the word but is a very important conjunction. It connects the thoughts that has been expressed in the first two verses with the two verses that follows. And uh, David, however tortured he might be at this point in time, decided to turn to the Lord. And this is one thing we have to love about David. The greatest fall that he had did not consume him. He was able to turn back. And that's one of the characters I think we all should learn to, uh, to, 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 to learn from David. And look at what he's saying, that the Lord is his shield. Now the word shield, as we understand, is an imagery of protection. It is also a imagery of the war, a symbol of protection in war. So when situation becomes despondent, when situation becomes troubled, when crisis comes in our life, when enemies seem to be pursuing, enemies can be, you know, personified in different kinds of things that we see around us. When these things come, we can learn from David and turn to God because he approached God uh, when things happen like this. But often when uh, trouble comes our way, Often we do two things. We end up doing uh, complaints. We complain about many things. But sometimes our complaints are about God. You know, we, when things, when difficult times come, when crisis comes, we complain about God. That God is not doing this. God is not loving me. God is not showing me. Or take everything and blame it on God. It is about uh, talking negative about God from behind. And many in the world continue to do this. There is so much unbelief. Why is God not acting on the evils that is happening? Why is not God saving the world from this pandemic? You know, And all these kind of things happen. But there is also another way of complaint, which is complaint to the Lord. You see, if you look at these two phrases, it is a preposition between those the, the words that matters. Some complain about God, which is a backbiting or talking negative about God. But some cry to the Lord. And that's something which I want us to uh, see even today. Um, complaining to the Lord is not something which we are doing wrong. And often, in fact, God wants us to come to him. It is just like Habakkuk complaining to God because he wants an answer. It is like Children complaining to parents because they want a solution. They want, they want the problems to be solved. So God wants to listen to us. He wants to us to bring our trouble to him. And this is what exactly what David did. He did not complain that God, uh, you know, God is not doing this for me. God is not doing that for me. But he brought the complaint and looked upon God. How to understand the situation that he is. So often... An honest assessment of our hearts can also help us understand what kind of complaints we are nursing in our hearts. Whether it's a complaint about God or whether it's a complaint to God. Complaint to God is an honest way to 
cry to the Lord and find an answer, desiring to find an answer. We have a God who understands us. We have a God who understands our pain and our troubles and our situation. So, um, in the midst of all this, what we can learn is that when painful situation comes, when painful experiences come our way, we learn to focus on God because he understands us completely. At the same time, you know, when painful situation comes our way, you know, we also have to understand that some of these things are caused by our own faults. And maybe we have to bear our own consequences, you know. Sin, sin has its own consequences. Even in the life of David, the sin with Bathsheba had its own consequences. He lost, he lost the child, the first child. And sometimes even in our life too, when we sin against God, there will be consequences. There will be pain. And perhaps we have to even undergo legal challenges that comes our way. But sometimes some painful experiences can also be external. Like the moment, I mean, the, the, the kind of problem that we're going through at this point, the corona pandemic or the flood, flood drought or conflicts of any kind. And this can be external. Whatever it may be, we should learn to bring our worries to God because he has an answer. So, you know, to hope in the Lord is to seek an answer from God in difficult times. This is the lesson what, what I want us to take away from this first section. To hope in the Lord is to seek an answer from God in difficult times. So let's quickly go into the second section um, for us, which is in 5 to 8. And I'm going to read these verses once again. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies in the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So the second section, the first two verses, five and six, is an expression of David in, in God's protection. But when, you know, we may be wondering at this point in time, when he's being pursued by thousands of people, when his enemies are nearing him, approaching him, how could David say that he was able to sleep well and wake up again? Now, we also have to understand at this point in time that back in the kingdom, when he, where he left in Jerusalem, people were plotting against him. And he had, Absalom had two advisors, Hushai and Ahitophel. Ahithophel was the advisor to David, but he has now switched his sides. Uh, and we see that Ahithophel gave an excellent advice to Absalom to pursue David when he is tired, crush him when he is weak. Unfortunately, I mean, of course, for Ahithophel, we read in uh, chapter 17 of 2 Samuel and verse 14 that the Lord has determined to frustrate the plans of Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel is... A brilliant fellow. And in those times, as the Bible records in Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, that the advice of Ahithophel was like the advice or the voice of God. That's a mighty big saying. But the Lord decided to frustrate uh, Ahithophel because God was on the side of David. How could David sleep when enemies are pursuing him? How could he say that he can sleep peacefully? If you look at the, the verse 5, he says, I lie down and sleep. I wake because the Lord sustains me. 
So simply put, David was able to sleep peacefully because um, the Lord sustains him. You know, as I was preparing this, I came across um, a sermon and I was a little baffled by the topic because how to get a good night's sleep was a topic. But interestingly, of course, the context was from this psalm. Uh, and uh, he went on to say that, you know, David was able to sleep because he trusted in the Lord. And sometimes when worries come uh, our life, uh, on our way, you know, we are also worried. You know, often we fear what tomorrow might bring. Many things drive us mad. And when things like this come, we cannot help but fear that, you know, worse might be on the way. And sometimes we end up boring our worries of tomorrow too. Because, because um, we end up worrying what, happened, what would happen in the future. You know, we often borrow from the uh, worries from tomorrow. But we have to understand that God is gracious to give us new mercies every day. Tomorrow will have its own worries. But with the sets of worries that comes our way, God will also bring give us new mercies to bear all these things. So that's something which we need to actually look at. And I want us to look at uh, two things that David did as he was going through. Two actions that is very, you know, um, important for us to notice is that David was able to pray. David was able to pray to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. This is what we see in verses three and four. Even though there may be enemies coming behind him, he was able to look to God, cry to God. And then, second thing he did was that he was able to trust in the Lord. He was able to trust uh, in God's, God's um, character, the attribute of deliverance, that God is the deliverer. Now, if you look at this uh, sum of eight verses, you find the word deliver. Uh, mentioned three times in verses 2, verses 7, and 8, deliverance. And of course, some translation mentioned, mentioned it as salvation. Salvation is from the Lord, which is more or less the same. What we see here is that he has experienced, David has experienced many things uh, in his life. And all those things may come as a trouble to us. But what we need to understand from this is that when trouble comes, we need to focus on God. That's the first section we look at. And then, second thing is that we have to trust in the Lord. David was able to trust in the Lord because he was able to understand what God can do. He can sustain, he can save, um, save everyone. So the underlying lesson that we have to understand from here is that when opposition or troubles come our way, we can turn to God in prayer and be confident that he will deliver us. That is what it means to hope in the Lord. And I think the key verse for us to look at here in this section is verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. David knew that the best thing we can turn to when trouble times come, when crisis come our way, is to turn to the Lord. He understood the character of God perfectly well, that he's a deliverer. And that's the reason why he was rest assured, that he can sleep in peace 
because the Lord <coughs> saves. So what do we do when uh, things like that come to us? us? What do we do when uh, we are in a crisis? Whom do we turn to? Some of us turn to friends, some of us turn to family members. But the important thing we need to do, though those, those things are not bad, is that we need to turn to the Lord and seek an answer. You see, what we learn from here and from David's life is also that everybody faces trouble, no matter how great they are or how small you are. You may be king like David, or you may be just a simple nobody. Whatever the status of your life, everybody has our own um, troubles. But the Bible is very clear that salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's something which we look at. That David knew that there is no deliverance elsewhere. He cannot even depend on his lieutenants. Because his lieutenants, in fact, Job was the one who actually killed Absalom. His right-hand man killed his own son. He cannot depend on his own people. But he turned to the Lord and he was able to rest properly because he knew that he was confident that God can deliver. So we can also do likewise, like David and hope on the Lord to deliver us. So to hope in the Lord, like I mentioned, is to look to the Lord for deliverance because God has an answer for us. So in conclusion, let me just uh, leave you with uh, a set of questions for us to ponder. When was the last time you felt like things have fallen apart around you? And what did you do? Was it a time that you complained about God or you complained to God? Remember, to complain to God is to accuse him of the troubles that you're going through. But to complain to God is to seek an answer for the problems that you are facing at this point of time. And that makes a critical distinction between the sets of questions. Secondly, is your prayer life marked by trusting God to answer your prayer? Now remember, God, God's answer sometimes may not be exactly what we are asking. And often we have seen and experienced, most of us have experienced also, that uh, many things don't turn out the way we want it. But even in this psalm, if you look at verse 7, he has a desire for vengeance. He said, strike my enemies in the jaw. Break, break the teeth of the wicked. But immediately he turned to verse 8 and says, but deliverance, the vengeance comes from God. So we need to understand that sometimes we desire to bring about something bad, act on a revenge. But we need to understand more importantly that it is the Lord who will take revenge because the Lord is the one who will ultimately bring an answer to our prayers. Thirdly, what attribute of God speaks to you at this point of time in your life? How is God speaking to you in this situation? I don't know what you're going through at this time. Maybe some of you are going through a crisis like David. Maybe, you know, you have committed the mistake and the mistake is now burdening you so much. Whatever it may be, you know, you can turn to the Lord because he's the shield. He's the shelter. He's the deliverer. He's the one who sustains. Or maybe some of you are going through some spiritual or physical trauma. 
we can look to the Lord for healing. Or maybe some of you are going through some relationship problems. But we need to understand that God is relational. If we speak to him, he can understand and solve our life's problem. Or maybe many of you are enjoying life, and I believe that many of us are. We are enjoying God's blessing. We need to thank God for good for his goodness. We need to praise him in our hearts and uh, praise him for who he is. Whatever you may be in this situation of life, if you're going through, especially in times of crisis, if you're going through trouble, please take it to the Lord. He loves to communicate with his people. He loves to communicate with his people. Look to Jesus because he is the answer to the questions of life. And that's something which I want us to take as we move along and trust God in these things. So we can have hope in the Lord even in times of trouble. That's all I have. And uh, let me pray before we close. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for this uh, beautiful time of uh, learning from your word. Enable us to um, put this into practice so that we may depend on you in times of trouble, just like David looked upon you and look for an answer and look for a deliverance from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.